You're listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant to shot. LeBron James with no regard for human life. Jordan. And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Hey listeners, before we get started with this episode, I just wanted to remind you that if you're enjoying listening to us talk basketball week to week, we really appreciate it if you leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe to our show. It really helps us out. Also, if you ever want to connect to send us messages or comments, or just to talk about basketball and other things, you can follow us on Twitter at OnTheNBABeat. For this episode, we're talking about the Houston Rockets, who many around the NBA are calling the biggest challenges to the reigning champion Golden State Warriors this year. We've brought back Salman Ali, managing editor of RedNationHoops.com and host of the Red Nation Hoops podcast for his second appearance on this show. He needs no further introduction, so let's bring him in. Hey, Salman, it's great to have you back for your second appearance. How's it going? Uh, It's going good. It's great to be back. Yeah, and it's a great time to talk about the Rockets right now. They're fresh off their win last Saturday over the Warriors, making them only the third team in the Steve Kerr era to win that season series over them. That win last week spawned a slew of articles calling the Rockets a, quote, legitimate threat to the Warriors in the playoffs. What do you think that term legitimate threat means to you? And how would you assess the Rockets' chances to make the finals this season, presumably having to go through those Warriors? Well, first, it's responsible to say that the Warriors are probably still going to make the finals this year. Like, they're still going to be the prohibitive favorite, as they should. And the Rockets are going to be huge underdogs in that series. But I guess the question you're asking, what what I call legitimate threat, someone who has a chance to take you know, more than one game off the Warriors, right? So I, I'd say the Rockets are definitely in that category. Like they could definitely make it a six or seven game series. And if it's down to a seven game series, then it's anyone's game, right? Um, mm-hmm. And, and that, that's kind of where I see the Rockets ending up right now, which is a surprise to me. Before the season, I would not have classified the Rockets as a legitimate threat to the Warriors, but they've gotten so much better defensively. They've gotten so much more versatile. And... Chris Paul's fit in so seamlessly, it just feels irresponsible to not talk about the Rockets as a legitimate, I guess, contender to take off two games Mm -hmm. off the Warriors, right? And especially when at full strength this season, they've been close to dominant. Friday's loss against the Pelicans was, I believe, the first this season in a game where Chris Paul, Harden, and Capella all played. Is that fact reassuring to you that they're able to play this well when healthy or is it possibly a little bit concerning about how they do seem to drop off a little bit and may not be at that level at by the end of the season when you tend to have all these nagging injuries start building up? What I would say is it is reassuring that they're, they are this good. But I mean, if we're being honest, it, it is the reason we have to keep repeating that stat just kind of states how fragile they can be, right? Like health right. can significantly lower their ceiling as a team. And that's why the Rockets have to be careful managing minutes, being responsible, heading towards the end of the season. Mike D'Antoni has to be really careful with their main guys. The Rockets are probably more health dependent than any other team outside of maybe Cleveland. They're so dependent on health. Like if 
any of their main guys gets hurt, like it just there's a significant drop off. Even when Lukumba Mute went down, like their defense went down the toilet for a good stretch there. I think in December they were the 23rd worst defense in the league. I mean, that's they're kind of shallow. Like if you look at their, their roster from afar, it's like their top nine guys are really, really good. But once you get past that, it's just hard to find replacements when guys go down. And I think the fact that we have to keep repeating, you know, when James Harden, Clint Capella and Chris Paul are healthy, they're 18 and one or whatever that stat is, just kind of like reinstates that. Like it's more a statement on how much they're health dependent than how good they are because we already knew how good they are. Right. And you're bringing up a good point. It's not just that obviously they're going to be much worse if one of James Harden or Chris Paul are out, but like even guys like Capella, when he's out, they take a huge step back. When Luke Richard's out, their defense suffers tremendously. And any of the rest of their starting lineup or even six, seven, eight guys are crucial keys to how they play and how they've been able to be successful this season. Taking a step back right now, when the Chris Paul trade in the offseason was announced, the Rockets gave up fan favorite, possibly my favorite Rocket player in a while, Patrick Beverly, along with Lou Williams, Sam Decker, Montrez Harrell, Kyle Wilcher, a few other pieces. What was your initial reaction on the spot when you first heard that news? Well, I was just surprised at how quickly things came together. Uh, I was actually at a local station, ESP 97.5. I was sitting in their offices. And when that happened, I mean, nobody in the office knew what happened. It, it just it kind of, everybody kind of went crazy because no one expected this to happen through trade initially. It became reported that the Rockets had become interested in Chris Paul and were heavy favorites to land him w- within free agency. I mean, in fact, just six hours earlier, Mark Stein had a tweet or report that the Rockets had just become serious contenders to land Chris Paul. And so the fact that it happened damn near the next morning was a real shock to everyone. It was just kind of crazy how quickly developed. And obviously the trade was one of the more sophisticated trades in NBA history. This gathering of non-guaranteed contracts from around the league Mm -hmm. um, for cash considerations was kind of crazy. Like they, they brought in like, it was like an an 18-man trade or something ridiculous. It was like, there was a lot of guys moved during that trade and obviously the Rockets depth initially took a big big hit because uh, we're talking Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, Sam Decker, Montrez Harrell. These are guys that had played significant minutes for the Rockets the year before. The fact that they gave it off for Chris Paul just it was kind of a shock because the Rockets had to rebuild on the fly. Their 6 through 10 rotation was pretty me- mediocre at best. In fact, they didn't even really have like a six man at the time. It just took so much of a hit. It was one of those things where you do what you can to get that star talent and worry about it later, right? Daryl Morey's always right. talked about this. And this was kind of him putting his money where his mouth is. Get the star talent, worry about the rest later. And that's kind of what that trade emblemized. And to me, when I first heard about that trade, like everybody asked the question right away, like how was this going to work? The Chris Paul, James Harden dynamic because James Harden had just been shifted to the point guard position a year prior. I was guilty of asking the same question. I, I was wondering how the fit would work. And uh, so far it's worked out great. But I mean, initially that was definitely a concern. And I, I thought a legitimate one because Harden is a ball dominant player. That's not a condemnation of on his talent. That's just the truth. But the fact that these guys have been able to make it worth just just speaks to how intelligent they are and and how motivated they are to you know win together. And 
it's it's kind of crazy how quickly they've been able to develop chemistry together. I mean, I, I didn't expect it to develop this fast. Like if before the season, I had them pegged at 54 wins. Right now, they're on pace for 60 plus. And that's kind of crazy to me. Yeah, I think actually a lot of people shared your concern about that pairing of Chris Paul next to James Harden, especially considering what happened in 2015 with the Ty Lawson experiment. Right, but Ty Lawson became a bad basketball player in fairness. Yeah, obviously Ty Lawson's not Chris Paul, like Chris Paul isn't Ty Lawson. And also possibly as important, D'Antoni wasn't the coach at the time. He's probably one of the offensive masterminds of our generation, as you said. A lot of those concerns assuaged pretty quickly into the season. Part of that effect has been mitigated by how Coach D'Antoni has been staggering the minutes of Paul and Harden, too. Before the season, he expressed interest in keeping at least one of either Harden and Paul on the court at all times when both are active. Essentially, they play 24 minutes per game together, 12 minutes a game apart. From my perspective, at least, that plan's worked out pretty well so far. The Rockets' best lineups, if you look at their net rating, have have been either the lineup with Chris Paul leading a unit of mostly second unit guys, and then also the lineup where James Harden is running point for mostly the starting unit, except for Eric Gordon replacing Chris Paul. What's your, what has been your take on the staggering of Chris Paul and James Harden? It's kind of crazy how different they decide to run their offenses. Like Chris Paul is so calculated. Like, and I've known this for a while. I've been a huge Chris Paul fan for the longest time, but he is so different at running an offense than James Harden. Like their their styles of running offenses are different. Like I, I tweeted about this earlier. Like Chris Paul is like that kid who studies all week and gets the ninety two out of test, and James Harden's that dude who just walks in and gets a ninety eight after not studying. Like like James Harden, the offense clearly runs a lot smoother with James Harden, and it feels a lot more effortless with James Harden and. With Chris Paul, it's it's different. It's it's effective. It's it's damn effective. But it's just it's just more calculated and uh, I guess maniacal in the way that Chris Paul targets defenses' weaknesses. And J- and James Harden thinks the game obviously, but he thinks the game at a different level. He plays the game more fluid, and like he I, I guess he's more he's more willing to take a bad shot than Chris Paul is, mm-hmm. and that actually benefits the Rockets more than more than not because. You know, Chris, James Harden's become this crazy shooter, which has been an interesting development uh, this year. I, I did not see this coming. James Harden's a career 37% shooter. Now he's he's shooting upwards of high 30s right now, which is crazy. But yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing I've noticed is how differently they run their units and how there's never a drop-off. It's crazy how, like, if you look at the old Rockets teams, right, like from... 2012 to 2015, there's always been a huge drop-off when James Harden went to the bench on, on the offensive end of the floor. It's just striking how much the Rockets are dependent on his playmaking for so many years. And the fact that James Harden can sit sit on the bench for extended minutes, which is something he's he's been adjusting to and something it's just weird to see after watching the Rockets play without him for so long, seeing a good unit on the Rockets without Harden on the floor. It's definitely different. And I think it benefits both players because, I mean, the idea of bringing them together is you bring them together, you you offset the playmaking responsibilities, and you keep them fresh and rested for the postseason so they don't exhaust themselves. And this was a, a big speculation point in Harden's game six, right? Like, was he this tired? Was he... 
was he so tired that he had that terrible game six that, you know, caused the Rockets a great deal of embarrassment, frankly. And the Rockets came out pretty much after the series. I remember this press conference with Mike D'Antoni and Daryl Morey. And Mike was talking about how he needed to manage Harden's minutes better because this was... This is somebody they have locked in for the long term, man. Like this is, they signed Harden for an extension this summer. This is their franchise guy. They have to be more responsible with him. And I think Chris Paul is going to help Harden in that transition because as Harden gets older, he, there's going to be someone to offset his playmaking responsibilities. And I think it's it's just a benefit for both players because both guys have had to do too much for their teams. Chris Paul with the Clippers and James Harden with the Rockets, I think, The staggerings worked out really well and their pairing has worked out really well because it's just a smart way to rest these guys. Yeah, and I love the point you brought up about how the style of play changes so much, how each of them is able to lead the offense. James Harden being a little bit more improvisational, whereas Chris Paul, he's like the ultimate puppet master, right? He is able to just control both how the defense is able to react and also how the rest of the offensive players around him are supposed to move around. A point you mentioned before, after the Chris Paul trade, the Rockets temporarily took a major hit on their depth chart. But then later on in the offseason, obviously, they add Luke Richard and Bob Mute, PJ Tucker, both of whom bring a bit of three-point shooting as well as much-needed defensive mindset and versatility to the team. Can you speak more about how important both of them have been thus far in the season? Those two additions might have been as big as the Chris Paul acquisition, honestly, this summer in terms of how much better they made the Rockets because, man, for the longest time, the Rockets did not have wing depth, like quality wing depth. I mean, they just had they had Trevor Reza and I guess a half a good season of Corey Brewer, right? Like it's been pretty brutal for the Rockets in terms of wing depth. They had to kind of overextend Trevor Reza and play mm-hmm. him upwards of 35 minutes per game and adding – Luke Richard, Bob Mute, and P.J. Tucker was much needed. They needed a wing. I mean, especially at that particular moment, they had just given up uh, Sam Decker. Uh, they just given up Lou Williams. They needed wings badly. And they needed good defensive wings, frankly, because, you know, the goal this summer and the goal, uh, I imagine, for the future is going to be contending with the Warriors, right? Like, the Rockets have talked about it year in and year out. This is their goal. They're not mincing words. Like, they want to go at this team. And to be able to properly beat this team or to even make them sweat a little bit, you need quality wings in order to play the style of defense to defend them. The Rockets want to switch everything. And that's a product of wanting to beat the Warriors. They've done it since the beginning of the season. They want to incorporate this style of defense so they're ready come the postseason to play it. And you need quality wings just in order to defend them. And the Rockets at that moment only had Trevor Ariza. And so bringing in P.J. Tucker, bringing in Luke Richard and Bob Mute, who, in my opinion, is probably their best perimeter defender. And the fact that the Rockets were able to get him on a minimum contract is just insane to me. It was huge for the Rockets. Luke Richard and Bob Mute was a starter for the Clippers for many years. And one of the better perimeter defenders in the league, honestly. Like, if you were to make a list of the best perimeter defenders, I think... Lugashar Bamute probably cracks the top 10. Like that, that's how good he is on the perimeter. PJ Tucker, for the longest time, was considered in the East a LeBron stopper, right? I, I'm not sure if I would necessarily classify him as such, but I mean, that that's, that's been his MO, right? My biggest thing with PJ Tucker is he allows the Rockets to play 
so versatile. Like you can play PJ Tucker at the four, you can play him at the three, you can switch everything on defense, you can play him at the five even. And, and the Rockets have not been shy at playing him at the five in sort of their version of the death lineup. And in my opinion, PJ Tucker is probably the most useful player the Rockets have outside of their top three in a Warriors matchup. Like he is, he unlocks so much for them in terms of lineup versatility and just usefulness. Like he is so useful for the Rockets because he talks all the time on defense. Like the guy is always talking on on the defense end of the floor. He holds everyone responsible. He's a, he's a quad defender himself. And in my opinion, those two positions. Again, they might have been as impactful as the Chris Paul signing in terms of raising their ceiling as a team because they so badly needed to get in the top 10 on defense. That's been their goal. Daryl Morey's talked about it. They want to be a top 10 defense. Adding these two guys helps them tremendously. And in my opinion, it doesn't really matter what lineup to throw out there. Mba Mute and Tucker are probably going to be on the floor in their crunch time units. And as he said, they add so much lineup versatility. Luke Richard, Bob Mute, PJ Tucker, and Trevor Ariza can play probably two through four if you ask them to. Tucker playing a lot of minutes at the five as well. Mike D'Antoni said recently that the Rockets are able to put a lineup on the floor to be an answer for every defense that they could possibly see. Just personally, or maybe in terms of effectiveness, do you have a favorite lineup that you've seen so far this season? I really like seeing PJ Tucker at the five. To, to me, like if they're going to answer the death lineup for the, from the Warriors, they're going to have to play PJ Tucker at the five because he's the only one who can defend Draymond, defend Durant, and defend Curry on switches. The Warriors are going to try to get their best matchup no matter what. And, and that involves playing the staff Draymond pick and roll over and over and over again until the Rockets fade. And... In my opinion, P.J. Tucker is kind of like Walmart Draymond. like, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, And their P.J. Tucker at the five lineup is kind of it's kind of my favorite. It's P.J. Tucker, Trevor Ariza at the four, Luke Richard Mbamute at the three, Chris Paul at the one, James Harden at the two. That's my favorite lineup. Uh, sometimes you can mix those up and play Eric Gordon instead of one of those three wings. I'd probably substitute out Trevor Ariza and play James Harden, Chris Paul, Eric Gordon, and P.J. Tucker. Those are my favorite lineups. Those two lineups are like my favorite because they seem to be the most effective. Yeah, and I think the first time I saw a major use of that particular lineup that you talked about with Chris Paul, James Harden, and then the three wings was in the Portland game earlier this season when they were going into the fourth quarter with something like a 18 or 20 point deficit and came back to win that game. You just have so much defensive versatility and like you're not sacrificing a lot on the offensive end either. So Right. You still have a lot of shooting out there, right? Like Eric Gordon, if you want to play him, can add to the shooting. You, you have Chris Paul, you have James Harden, three really good shooters on the floor at all times. And they spread you out. And in that Portland game you're referencing, the Rockets got every switch they wanted. Mm-hmm. Like James Harden and Chris Paul were feasting on those switches. It's been kind of their break-in case of emergency lineup this season, which is uh, crazy how quickly they've depended on it this early. But, I mean, it's it's worked. Their net rating in that lineup is ridiculous. I haven't checked it in a while, but at the beginning of the season, it was something ridiculous, like 58 or something yeah. like that. Like, it was it was up there. It was up. It was one. Of, it was easily their best lineup. Granted, they hadn't played a lot of minutes at that point, but mm. it's been really effective when they pulled that lineup out of, out of the blue. Stay tuned for more show after the break. Thank you. 
This is Eric Name from ESPN Milwaukee, and this is On the NBA Beat. Somewhat counterintuitive to what's perceived as a modern offense in today's NBA, which seems to be predicated on a lot of ball movement. The Rockets are obviously perceived as a high-octane offense, second most efficient in the league, but they also have the highest percentage of isolation plays of any team In terms of players, James Harden and Chris Paul are the number one and number two in the league in isolation frequency, but they're also top two in points per isolation possession. Or to put into context in a different way, you know, the Warriors are an outlandish offense and they have an offensive efficiency of about 114 overall, but... That's that's ridiculous. That's that's completely ridiculous that the Warriors have an offensive rating of 114. If you look at isolation plays... For James Harden and Chris Paul, James Harden's offensive efficiency in isolation is 127 and Chris Paul's is 119. So like, how are the Rockets able to make that isolation, which you tend to think of as an inefficient style of play, be so effective? Well, isolation is inefficient when you don't have the right guys, right? And, And the Rockets clearly have the right guys. Like no one calls Kyrie Irving isolation inefficient or Kevin Durant, right? Like Mm -hmm. they're good when you have the right guys. Also, the Rockets utilize isolation different than other teams. They, they, they don't just go straight out isolation. They, they search their mans out. Like they search for the right switch and then they ISO. So they'll do a pick and roll and then in isolation. They're not going to just go straight isolation. In my opinion, James Harden's going to exploit the weakest guy on the floor nine times out of 10 because he's just that good. And he's, his three point shot has been a big reason his isolation game's been so good. I don't know if it's going to keep up like this, but the guy has become such an incredible shooter and we i talked about this earlier but he's shooting high 30s in percentage like it's an anomaly for his career god knows if it's going to keep up but i mean if he can keep this up and that's a huge threat against the best teams in the west you just can't defend that he's already making life a living hell for you because you have to choose between so many bad options do you help do you play straight one-on-one do you make sure you're on the shooters do you do you stay up on them and then let you let them drive past you do you um, do you foul him? <laughs> like, what do you do, right? Like, he he's he's added another dimension to his game that just makes him impossible to guard. And Chris Paul has been really good on isolation for a long time. And his pick and roll game, again, lended to the isolation. And I, I think the Rockets, like isolation, you're right, is generally a bad offense. But my motto is if it's working over a long period of time, it's good, right? Like, it, like you, you stick with it. Like, and the, it's worked for a long period of time. Nothing's faded. I don't, I don't. I don't know how you can say it's a it's a bad way of doing things. Like the Rockets get a lot of criticism for how simplified their offense is, but I mean, why do you need to make it complicated? Like it's it's working. Like it's it's like you you don't need a lot of motion if your guys don't need to play motion, right? Like it's you can play straight pick and roll over and over and over again if it works over and over and over again, and it has. So I don't see any reason adding much motion or ball movement like the Mike D'Antoni Suns team look look completely different than this for a good reason because those teams needed to move the ball around and this team doesn't like it's it's fine the way it is in my opinion and I don't know why you would try to make a tweak here because like against the best teams this has worked this has worked against the Warriors so I, I mean unless they get into some sort of pick with this postseason with their offense, I don't see any reason to change it. And then last postseason, they did the same thing and, and they had one of the best offenses in the playoffs. So I don't I don't see any reason in changing it. Yeah, and to your point, it's not like James Harden and Chris Paul is just walking down the court and then 
standing at the top of the key for 20 seconds before shooting. It's the Rockets are running like pick and roll after pick and roll and only then doing isolation after everything's done and you have the matchup you want and it's a clear mismatch. A big reason why that strategy has also been very effective this season is the continued buy-in of Clint Capella and how much he's also developed this season. I think as a Rockets fan, watching him over the last couple of years, over the course of his career, you know, you're always intrigued by his potential, but there were times watching him where I was not always convinced what, that he'd ever really be able to put it everything together to become like not all-star caliber, but close to all-star caliber, I'd say player. But this year he does seem to have made really big strides on both ends of the floor. What in particular do you think he's improved the most on, on that front? His defense, like he's, he's gotten so much better at defense over this year. I mean, like this was a big issue with me off the ball. Clint Capella for the longest time was a, a poor defender. His, his rim protection, like he would just kind of fade away from the basket and try to do too much. He would overhelp on pick and rolls and and that would a, a lot of times lead to an easy bucket at the rim. And he's kind of calmed down on that and he's gotten better at playing more minutes and that's going to be a continued thing with him. He has to play upwards of 32 minutes per game in the postseason for the Rockets to be a legitimate threat. They can't play Nene for long stretches, even though Nene is really good in the postseason with the long rest. Clint Capella is their guy, and they have to ride it out with him. He poses the best pick and roll threat out of all the Rockets bigs, and he just gives defenders a lot of problems. Like He was finishing over Draymond and KD in that Warriors game that they won recently like a lot. And those two guys are leading the defensive player of the year race right now, mm-hmm. right? Like, Taking people off the dribble too, which is really surprising, right? Right. Like his, his, his Euro step is, is kind of crazy. Like he probably has probably the second best Euro step in the game at right, right after Joel Embiid. He's, uh, second best Euro step in the game, uh, among big men. I should, I should have clarified, but I mean, he's, he's like up there. I mean, like it, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. He's gotten pretty crafty with the ball in his hands and he's kind of getting good at dirty buckets. Like, like when the Rockets run a pick and roll and, and Clint Capella can't quite get to the basket, he's just right there. He'll just go for a quick post move and get, and get an easy hook over his left shoulder. And that's been working out pretty well for him. Like when he can't fin- go all the way on a pick and roll, like he can, he doesn't necessarily have to stop the possession there. And that's been working pretty well for the Rockets. The Rockets don't want to post him and they shouldn't post him, but when he's when he's in a situation where he's right there, like when he's in the restricted area, uh, he he can put his guy in the bucket, man. The guy is just an incredible finisher. He's become one of the best finishers in the league this season. And to me, his the biggest development in his game has by far been his defense. He's he's always been a, an incredible switcher. He's always been able to switch on to ball handlers and defend them pretty well. I remember in the 2015 playoffs against the Warriors, like that that really impressed me how well he switched on to Steph and guarded him. But now he's developed the rest of his defense. And if he can become like a a good defender, that unlocks so much for the Rockets. I want to close out this conversation by talking about an issue that's been in the news a lot for the Rockets, but off the court. And those are the rumors that are getting louder and have persisted all season that LeBron James may be interested in joining the Rockets, joining his good friend, Chris Paul, both members of the Banana Boat Squad. Do you buy into that? And how? what probability do you think that would be of happening and what would the Rockets need to do for that to be a possibility? Uh, you know, it's crazy. Uh, it feels like all we do on our podcast now is, is talk about the Warriors and LeBron James. Like it's, it's kind of funny how on a Rockets podcast, those two topics have become so central to what we talk about all year. 
But yeah, I mean, this the Rockets, if anything, are going to try to go after LeBron James. So th- that's happening. Like that's the Rockets are absolutely going to pursue it. If if we learn anything from Daryl Morey, it's that he's aggressive and he's going to try anything to get what he wants. His general thing is you need three guys, right? And he's talked about it ever since he's came to the Rockets. Like you need three All Star quality players to truly compete with the best of the best for championships and. The Rockets, in their pursuit of the Warriors, are definitely going to go after LeBron James. But the, the question is, will they have a chance at landing him, right? That's been that's always been the central question. That's going to be the central question in LeBron's free agency this summer. Can the Rockets clear enough cap space to get, to get LeBron straight out in free agency? Or will they try to facilitate some sort of opt-in trade like they did with Chris Paul, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think that's the most interesting scenario the Rockets can land LeBron James in, is if LeBron opts into his... I think he has one more year on his contract. Yeah, he has one more year on his contract. If he opts into that and the Rockets trade some sort of package surrounding Eric Gordon, Nene, you know, like just just a bunch of good players and draft picks. If they can make a, a package around that and land LeBron James, like that, that's to me is the most realistic possibility because Eric Gordon's become sort of a, a good contract for the Rockets. When the Rockets really signed him, it didn't look like a great deal. But I mean, the more he stayed on the floor and the more he stayed healthy... He's become a really useful player for the Rockets and a really good contract. He's a starting quality shooting guard on 25 other teams in the league, right? And I think that's a really tempting trade piece for a Cleveland Cavaliers team that, you know, is gets word from LeBron that he might be leaving. I think he can be a central trade for LeBron James, much like Victor Oladipo was a central trade for Chris Paul, right? Yeah. Uh, not Chris Paul, Paul for Paul, Paul George, right? I think the Rockets have a legitimate chance at landing him. If you were to ask me right now, I'd probably say it's 40% the Rockets, 60% the field. Mm-hmm. Or uh, I should probably lower that. Probably it's like 35% the Rockets, 65% the field. Mm-hmm. Like a, That's kind of where I'm at. It's it's going to be interesting. The Rockets are definitely courting him right now. Like that that's that's definitely happening because that's just just what players do. Players talk, and that's they're going to talk with LeBron all year. They're going to be in his ear. They're they're going to try to court him this summer, and I I think they have a legitimate chance, man. Like especially if they if they can get in a series with the Warriors and and force it to be six or seven games, and. You know, you, you go to LeBron with saying you can be our finishing piece here, right? Like you can, like we're right there, we're neck and neck with the Warriors. You're the only thing that we need to to get over this hump. And if they get LeBron, I mean, they're basically right there with the Warriors. Like talent wise, they they match up neck and neck. LeBron, James Harden, yeah. and Chris Paul is a hell of a starting three. But they have a lot of decisions to make this summer. You know, they have Clint Capella uh, approaching restricted free agency. And they have to deal with that. They have Trevor Ariza coming off the books. They have a lot of decisions to make this summer. So it's going to be complicated. It's not, it is not going to be easy. But if there's a general manager in the league that can make it work, it's Daryl Morey. Like it's the, the fact that the Rockets were able to get a significant player this summer uh, with the cap situation they're in was really surprising to me. I, I didn't think they had any chance at a star looking at their salary cap. Like it, it's kind of crazy that they were able to get Chris Paul in the first place. Um, because they only had like at the time like twelve million dollars in salary mm-hmm. like left over, and the fact that they circumvented that and, and before free agency even started got their star player is kind of crazy to me. And they they manipulated the cap to get to keep their exceptions and sign PJ Tucker and sign uh, Nene for the room exception. If there's a general manager in the league that can make it work and figure all the cap stuff out, it's Daryl Morey and. 
if you're asking me right now, I think it's 35% the Rockets, 65% the fuel. It's kind of crazy how quickly they've gone to the top of the field in terms of candidates to land LeBron. I think just from my perspective as a Rockets fan, I've seen the Rockets miss on so many of these high profile free agent rumors. But I guess the situation is when LeBron James says he has real interest in joining your team, you have to get excited, especially with how the season has gone for the Cavaliers so far. Thank you so much, Salman, for joining me today. I love talking about the Rockets. They could probably go on for another hour with you, but we have to stop. Hopefully I'll have you back sometime. Yeah, I definitely look forward to it, man.